This is Out of the Dark by Choices. Summary. Ten years after the war, most Slytherins have either been executed or gone into hiding. A few, like Draco, exist on the outskirts of life. Not that Draco minds. His life is simple and respectable. He runs a business he loves and keeps his head down. It's not perfect, but for Draco it's more than enough. That is, until he makes the ill-advised decision to help a very drunk Harry Potter. Potter, true to form, has taken this as an open invitation to invade Draco's home. Draco needs to get him out immediately, only to preserve his sanity, of course. Draco's heart has absolutely nothing to do with it. Chapter 1 All the shops are closed on Dagon Alley. Thick rain gives the usually well-lit, cheery little street a dark, foreboding air. Not that there's much darkness or foreboding left in the world, thinks Draco as he strides through the downpour. His steps are neither quick nor slow. He walks as he would walk on any sunny day, back straight, head high, proud. Malfoys are always proud, his father would say when Draco slouched in the disappointment of yet another cancelled father-son outing. Whatever the world throws at them, remember, revolutions are fought over dignity. You can bear poverty, you can scrub floors on hands and knees, so long as your dignity remains intact. And Draco does maintain his dignity, keeps his wits and smiles under wraps, as tightly as he keeps in the sadness, fears, and disappointments. People work with him, happy to do business with Malfoy Enterprises. Draco is quick and sharp, always exact, always on time, but they do not socialize with him. When he was younger, he blamed it on the war, on an irreparably stained reputation. But people are surprisingly willing to forgive and forget. No, Draco's partners don't socialize with him, because it turns out that people need to enjoy one's company in order to spend any time in it. And few can stand Draco's cool, courteous demeanor for more than half an hour at a time. Just long enough to do business, agree on shipping schedules, handing costs, port and border fees, then they're out, off to the pub with their buddies, or to dinners, or hurrying home to their wives and children. Draco, on the other hand, stays behind in his office of beautifully carved American mahogany, and works and works and works some more until he can barely keep his eyes open. Then he rises from his desk, dons his cloak, and walks to the apparition station, where he ceases to exist just for a moment, then rematerializes with a pop, picture perfect, outside the gates of Malfoy Manor. From there, he walks 227 steps to the front doors, up the stairs to the second story, and down the corridor to his bedroom. He still sleeps in the bedroom he grew up in, despite the fact that his parents have permanently moved to the chateau in France. Still, he's loath to relocate into their chambers, the rooms seeming somehow sacred, even now, even after everything, a place of laughter and fairy tales. When he was little, he'd crawl into their bed, snuggling between his parents on cold mornings, and they'd stay that way, together, laughing, talking in hushed tones, as though there was no real world outside, no danger or evil, just warmth and safety and comfort, family. Draco's bedroom and the kitchens are the only rooms he keeps warm these days, the rest of the house preserved from decay under a series of stasis charms. He likes it this way. 
It feels less wasteful, though what it is he's trying to conserve, he hardly knows. He'd ask someone who knows him, but there's no one to ask. Perhaps it's magic. He lives with the endless feeling of his magic seeping from him through his dark mark, though the mark is long since dead, a relic like the manor, the bedroom, like Draco himself, something that survived the war, even though it shouldn't have. It was long past midnight when Draco finished his work for the day. By the time he'd left his office, it had been raining for hours, and now he's out in it, though he doesn't much care. He's wrapped himself in an umbrella charm and is as happy with the rain as without it. He's nearly at the apparition point when he's accosted. Draco starts but doesn't reach for his wand. Any threatening gesture can be perceived as an attack. And though it's been years since the DMLE has taken any interest in him, he's hardly willing to test them. So he pushes the figure from himself, murmurs, my apologies, and tries to step around it. Apologies, says the man, for it is a man, even though he's tiny, barely reaching Draco's shoulder. The man sways for a moment, hair wet and plastered on his face, obscuring it, and promptly falls into Draco's arms again. Sighing, Draco drags the figure to the bench, fully prepared to wrap him in an umbrella charm and leave him there, when the man presses his nose into Draco's collar and inhales. Draco freezes. You smell so, mumbles the man. And Draco shakes his head, sitting the man down on the bench. You smell so good. Draco lets out a surprised laugh. He doesn't remember when he'd last let a man, any man, this close to his skin. Draco pushes the man's wet hair off his brow and blinks at the vivid red lightning bolt scar that had been hiding beneath it. Potter? No, Potter says. No, no. Potter doesn't exist. He's dead. I killed him. Executed. Potter, you idiot. What are you doing out here? And drunk. Oh my God. Not Potter. Not drunk. Dead. Potter opens one eye and peers at him. Malfoy? Ha! He laughs. You're dead too. Look at us. Two dead men breathing. Morbid. Draco replies with a snort. Come now. Where do you live? I'll take you home. Home? There's no such thing. Haven't you heard? A couple walks past them, peering at them curiously. Potter, give me your fucking address. I have no wish to be seen here with you. I'll be blamed for the mess you are, and then I'll be the one dealing with the fallout, not you. Where do you live? I don't live. I'm dead. And then Potter, very conveniently, passes out. Draco goes to his knees in front of him and presses his forehead to Potter's knee, abruptly exhausted. He stays that way for a breath, too, the rain beating down on his umbrella charm. He moves his fringe out of his eyes, then swearing, casts a feather light and gets to his feet, lifting Potter into his arms. He carries the man to the apparition point, apparates to Malfoy Manor. He walks 227 steps to the front door, and carries Potter up the stairs. In the corridor, he hesitates for a moment, looking at all the doors leading to the guest rooms, then deciding on the one beside his, shoulders his way inside, before depositing a still unconscious Potter onto the bed. He removes most of Potter's soap clothes with the flick of his wand, and tucks him into bed. He lays the clothes out on an armchair, 
drying them as they arrange themselves, lights the fire, then sits down on the floor to connect this room to the heating charm on his own. By the time he's done, Draco is shaking. He hasn't done this much magic in over a decade. The dark mark feels like a living, writhing thing under his skin. He needs to lift the sleeve of his robe in order to remind himself that it's not, that it's dead, that it's long since dead. Getting to his feet, Draco leaves the room. He hesitates a moment beside the door and turns to look at Potter. He does seem dead lying there, so small in the overly large bed. Then Potter scrunches up his nose, frowning in his sleep, and Draco is flooded with the life of him, here in this tomb of a house. Harry is the first living creature to enter it since Draco sent the last of his house elves packing all the way to France to serve his parents as they should. Sighing, Draco closes the door behind himself and goes into his own room. He strips, letting his clothes fall where they will, and drops onto his bed. Draco is asleep before he even manages to close his eyes. This was Out of the Dark by Choices. Please leave a comment or a kudos on Archive of Our Own. Thank you for listening.